Would you pray with me? We're going to get started in this conversation. And men, you're up. We're going to be talking to you today. So, Heavenly Father, I pray, um, Lord, that there would just be uh, uh, the softness of your spirit in this place, the understanding of your spirit, God, the conviction of your spirit. I thank you, God, for... Uh, the relationships in this room. Thank you, God, for families and marriages, and I pray that they're strengthened today. We give you this time, and we give you this talk. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I'm going to recap real quick. We, uh, first of all, talked last, the first week of this uh, mini-series that we're doing in Ephesians 5, we talked about the purpose and the meaning of marriage. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that message. But last week, we talked about wives uh, submitting and respecting their husband, what it means to submit and serve. And we also talked about how in Ephesians, it says that the husband is the head of the home. He's the head over the wife. And it's a trigger word when we read the word wives submit to your husbands. Uh, he is the head of the wife. It, it kind of causes, I think, just there's a little, a little thought process that happens there when we hear those words together. But what that, what that means is that it, that Paul in, in Ephesians compares the head of the home to Jesus, who is the head of the church. And as the head of the church, Jesus did not model leadership or authority or being the head as something that was superior or it's not a role of entitlement. It's not a role of privilege. It comes with privilege, but it is not a role of entitlement. entitlement. It's a role of sacrifice and responsibility. And so husbands, when, when Jesus says, when Paul says that you are the head of your wife, you are the head of your home, it's saying that you have the role and the responsibility to sacrifice and serve your family and serve your wife as Jesus sacrificed for the church. And it's powerful when we interpret this scripture through that lens that, oh, oh, he's not saying that I get to make all the decisions. He's not saying that I am ultimately uh, in charge and my wife doesn't get a say. She has to submit to me in all yeah. things. She has to move where I say we're moving. She has to do what I, no, that's not what it means. It means that you are in charge of sacrificing and serving your family. Did you have something you want yeah, to Yeah, submission is not that we wives don't get any say and we don't get to do anything. Submission is actively giving our husbands leadership. And there's a difference. Yeah, that's good. And we talked a little bit about, uh, did, did you want to talk about the crazy cycle at all? We talked a little bit about the crazy cycle, how oftentimes in a marriage, uh, what happens is that when two uh, when spouses reach a stalemate or, or they, their needs are not being met, the woman is not receiving the love that she needs and the man is not receiving the respect that he needs, what often happens is that the two of them wait for the other one to go first, right? That I will not, I, wives think to themselves, I am not going to give you respect because respect is earned. And you do not deserve respect because you do not know how to love me. And a man is thinking, why, how do you expect me to love you when you don't respect me? You don't, you don't admire me. You don't even like me. How am I supposed to love you? And so there's this crazy cycle that happens is when one person feels that their needs aren't getting met, they lash out and they reach for what they need and they withhold what the other person needs. And we get caught in this crazy cycle of, no, you go first. No, you go first. Yikes. Yeah. We also talked about... So who should go first? Yeah, uh, That's a great question. Who should go first? 
My answer to that question is the one who is the most mature. Oh, snap. <laughs> should That's go good. first. That was good. <clears throat> the, one, the one, I should say the one most spiritually mature should go first. You got, That's good. That's good. Did you have something you want to add, Mom? Should I get, <laughs> my parents are right in the front row, so this is, I'm getting a little sweaty up here. You know, we also talked about how um, the foundation of a successful marriage is really Jesus. Is that uh, because marriage is supposed to be a physical picture of a spiritual reality, a spiritual relationship between yeah. Jesus and his church, uh, marriage, its foundation, a successful marriage is founded on the person of Jesus. Because uh, we're going to talk in a minute. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians fa- chapter 5, verse 25. And we're going to read through the instructions to the husbands to love your wife. Last week, we talked about the wife instruction to submit and respect. And this week, guys, we're up. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 25 through 31, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, now first of all, let's stop here. You understand that the picture of what Jesus does for the church is he is so sacrificial that his sole focus is to make the church the best version of herself that she could possibly be. Without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. Now, that's going to be a little hard for us, making our wives perfect, guys. That's not your role to make your wife perfect. But Jesus sacrificed in such a way that he thought, I'm going to do everything I can to bring out the best in my church, to bring out the best in, in, in my bride. And husbands, that is our role, is to look at our wives and say, I want to bring the best out of my wife. I want to provide an atmosphere in the home that she feels comfortable to be the best version of herself that she can be, where she feels even okay to fail sometimes. And, and that same grace is extended to husbands, that there needs to be in a marriage an invitation to fail, to, to understand it's okay to fail, that there's still going to be love and, and grace. I think one of the most powerful things about a marriage is that Christina knows everything about me. She knows the good, the bad, and she's seen me at my worst. But I still know that she loves me. And that is such a powerful thing in a good marriage is that when the person that you are married to has seen the worst of you and they still love you the same, what a powerful relationship. Yeah, I think um, to go along with that, marriage was always meant to be a piece of heaven on earth. When God created marriage. Yeah. <laughs> but for <laughs> most people, like it's hell, right? <laughs> and so I think that like, we get stuck in this nagging, complaining, disconnect, competition, even resentment and hate, and it infiltrates the marriage, and it makes it the opposite of what it was meant to be. And so this love that he's talking about, this unconditional love and unconditional respect is what it was meant to be, and that's a picture of heaven because that's what God does for us. And we were created for that. We were created for oneness. We were created for unity, and again, someone who knows your deepest flaws and insecurities, but loves you most out of anyone, um, that's, 
that's the goal. Yeah. So verse 28, let's pick up where we left off. It says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And what's the rest of this say? I can't read it in the back. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's the picture. It's, it, it's so different. We've got to get this. Is that so many people today are getting married because uh, they think that um, they're marrying their better half. Life is going to get, uh, they're going to get their needs met by marrying this person. And they, they walk into a marriage with the expectation that as long as this person continues to meet my needs, we're going to be okay. And that just doesn't happen, right? There comes a point in your marriage where you feel like your needs aren't getting met. And here's the significance of the altar, is that when two people get married, typically they're married at an altar. Maybe you were married outside, but the imagery is still the same. You were in front of everybody. Maybe you're under this archway, and it's the symbolism of this altar. You got married at an altar. Church, what happens at an altar? Things die. Things are sacrificed. Good. Not your romance, not your love. That doesn't die. But you come to the altar to give your life for the other person. You come to the altar to sacrifice your life. And as you do this, you don't come to the altar to live happily ever after. You come to the altar to lay down your life and service to one another so that you can experience the true freedom of God in, in your marriage. That he wants to bring you freedom in your marriage. I love what she said about uh, marriage is, is you know, what you said about marriage looking like heaven on earth. That's not always the reality, though, is it? It's not. But, but when you enter into a covenantal relationship knowing that no matter what, I'm here for your betterment. I'm here to better you, to make you the best version of yourself. If both members have that same focus, then the two of you are going to be the strongest couple, the strongest individuals that the world has ever seen. That's good. Yeah. So how do we love our, how do you love your wife? How do we do this? How do you do this, babe? I don't know. This is all you. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think that um, we as wives deeply desire connection with our husbands. Uh, I think where a man's cry is respect me, a woman's cry is love me, love me. I think um, it's interesting because a man is able to, okay, you said yes to me on the altar when we were married, and I'm good with that. That's enough. I don't need to hear it again or like it. For the, it's not that we don't need no, to hear it. It's that we feel secure. You're secure yeah, in it. That. But women need to hear it. We need to be reassured of it constantly. Um, and our desire is out of a desire, again, to connect, not to control. I think, um, I think a lot of times women are perceived as controlling because we feel like we have to take control uh, of the situation or of whatever's happening. But I think deep down, 
I, I don't like being, in, I don't want to be in control. <laughs> and, and ultimately, control is a figment of our imagination. None of us are in control. God is in control. So wait. And so, Did you, let me stop you there. So okay. what you're saying is that when we're at home, and by the way, this happened yesterday. Okay? Yesterday. When we're at home and you start quietly cleaning the house and I feel like the heat off of you, you know, like, yeah, wives or husbands, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? When your wife just quietly goes into like cleaning mode and you know that she's judging you for not getting up and helping her immediately. <laughs> so when I feel, when I feel like, when I start to feel controlled by you or, or neck from me, it's not that you are trying, it's not that you are trying to disrespect me or you're crying out for help. You are yes. saying, you are saying, I don't feel loved right now. Mm, and I'm, I'm looking for love. Yeah. And I, I was actually going to bring up this example too, because Blake called me out. So usually he just like kind of eases out of the room and just lets me do my thing. <laughs> or I hop on the dishes occasionally and <laughs> start did, doing some did. dishes. But he, he just said plainly to me yesterday, hey, you got up out of our room from a nap and then you just like brought anxiety with you and you just started cleaning everything. What's going on? And that changed everything for me because I didn't even realize I was doing it. I, w I wasn't okay. I was thinking about some things that I wanted to process, but I didn't know how to. And so that him just saying that to me was an open opportunity for me to talk to him about it. Um, so yeah, again, it's not a desire to control it's a desire to connect. And I think the only time I like being in control is when things go my way. But that rarely happens, right? <laughs> and so I think um, when I said that submission is just is actively giving our husband's leadership, it's also actively giving up that control or that idea of control. Because ultimately, we're all stewards. We're not in control anyway. So you have on here... I, I this week I said, hey, Christina, I want you, you know, last week I kind of wrote down some things that men desire in their relationship. Mm. And I just said, Christina, I need you to help me out here. What are some things that a woman needs from her husband? And so she, I see you've got six things on here. What are these? Yep. What are these things that you've put down? All right. So the first one, which goes kind of what we're, we're talking about, about connection is closeness spiritual, emotional, physical closeness to our husbands. Um, last week we talked about how most men are secure in the fact that their women, their, their wives love them, um, but not always sure that we like them. I think a woman, as a woman, I would venture to say that I know my husband needs me, <laughs> but I don't know that he's still in love with me all the time. And so closeness is that assurance of the love that we need. Like I was saying, that, that a man is secure in that, but we, I think as women, often tend to question it. Um, and so a, a good example of this was when we, we had four kids in five years. And so we, for a while there, we were just ships in the night. Like it was like, tag, you're it, tag, you're it. And we would just pass, we would just see each other in passing, it felt like. And um, we're and we're coming out of that honestly, and so I think we were just when we were done with the kids, we were just too exhausted to connect. Like <laughs> we would just be so spent and so done. 
but I during that time I felt like I was starving. I, like I I didn't know where I stood with him. Like, does he still love me? Does he regret that he married me? Does he regret having kids with me? Like, I'm just constantly asking myself these questions. And um, I just needed to feel close to him. But that season of our lives, it was really hard to do that. And so we had to make time for that. And so we started a date night each week. Shout out to Blake's parents for making that possible. Thank you, guys. (laughs) And so that was the time where I would literally, you guys, look forward to this night every week. Like, it was my favorite night of the week because I would just get to be with Blake and we could connect and talk. And, um, and it's still the highlight of my week, I would say. Yeah, husbands, I would say that just as she's saying, women need to know that you still love them. Your wives need to know that you still love them. And as you become more secure in their love, uh, sometimes we tend to stop showing that closeness or tend to stop showing that affection or that that romance, those romantic gestures mm-hmm. that made her feel wanted. And I'm not talking about sexual advances. I'm talking about non-sexual close, closeness, like holding hands in the car or yeah. coming up behind her and giving her a squeeze, giving her a hug, and coming up and just letting your, letting her know that you still want her, that she's still desirable take your wife's take your wife on a date i hope that everybody is still i hope you're still going on dates with your wife can i get an amen yeah (laughs) so i i think i mean even for women but this is super important for men as well um you are the only source of romance that your spouse receives well you should be but often right but why do we go to other sources so I'm saying, like, this this connection. So when we're getting that together, and this is something that women can do, too. Like, buy a fat steak, even if you don't like steak, and have that for dinner. Men like that, right? <laughs> or, like, yeah, we like steak. offer to go golfing or fishing for date night, you know, and mix things up. I think that that is something that fills up our men. But for women, again, this is, you, we are the only source of romance that we get. And so I think, I, I, like he said, I absolutely adore when Blake comes and gives me a hug while I'm doing the dishes or grabs my hand while we're driving in the car. Um, it's just those little things that make me know that he loves me and he's thinking about me. Um, a text, like when I'm out grocery shopping, not when are you getting home, the kids are going crazy, but hey, we love you, like, you know. <laughs> and that happens a lot. <laughs> Guys, there's, women are so much better at parenting. I, I don't know, guys. If you've been alone with four kids before, and I, I just, after, after my wife gets home, I'm like, how do you do that? Like, and the dishes are done, and dinner's made, and the laundry's folded. Like, we're just worried about keeping the kids alive. You know, that's, that's our standard. But, yeah, so, again, closeness. This is a big one. And we talked about how sexual release for a man is like emotional release for a woman. So like another tip, instead of turning over and going to sleep after you have sex, maybe turn over and snuggle your wife and talk to her for a little bit. (laughs) This is just real stuff, but it's a small thing that will go a very long way. So the second thing is it goes hand in hand with closeness, but it involves more of you being active in 
openness. So women want to talk about it. We want to talk to you. We want to know your heart on things. We want to know your opinion. We want to know what you're thinking. And um, so it goes hand in hand with closeness, but it involves talking. And sometimes that's hard for men. Um, We want to hear about your day. We want to hear about your difficulties, your feelings. Um, And because as women, we like the first thing we want to do when you get home is download everything that happened that day, you know, and share it with you. And uh, but often I think uh, we feel like our husbands come home from work disengaged and distant and just want to sit on the couch, just want to like not think. Um, And this drives us bonkers (laughs) because a man like because Blake was so open and expressive while we were dating. He talked to me about everything. Right. But then we get married and now it seems like he's this walled fortress that I can't get into and so I start scratching and and picking at the rocks and trying to get in there right which just turns him off even more and makes him shut up even more and like not want to say anything and again this is the crazy cycle right and so um I think this one is something both of us can participate in and and men knowing that we want you to be open with us, but women also being mindful of how we react to the openness or we react to them Um, because I think that sometimes men just fear being open with us because they fear being disrespected, right? And so I think when we feel our husband, when we try to talk to them and we feel them pulling away from us or stonewalling us, some really good language that you can use is, did something I say or do feel disrespectful to you? And that opens up a conversation where he can tell you what that might be. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, an important thing that that I'm still learning is that um, she wants me to open up um, not to... You know, she just wants to feel close to me. You know, she she wants she wants to feel closer to me, and so that opening up and just being able to talk about my day and talking about what I'm thinking is sometimes difficult when we've had a, a very mentally engaged day. I know for me, I'm usually talking to people all day, um, and that's that's what I do. And so when I get home, I just kind of want to isolate, and not talk at all. But but understanding that my wife needs that from me, she needs to feel close to me by opening up and talking. I'm going to tackle this third point, if you don't mind, because I feel like this is a good... You have here, uh, men, women need you to just listen, to just listen, to not try and fix everything. And last week, we talked about how there's a desire in a man to be a helper. We want to be a fixer. We, We have this desire to offer insight and solutions and counseling. And so when our wives come to us with a problem, we just want to like... We want to, well, here's what you could do. Here are some steps you could take, and we want to offer insight. But, uh, but oftentimes, uh, our wives just need somebody to listen to, that we don't have to fix anything. And it's how uh, women, it's how our wives often process things. It's just by having somebody to listen to what they're saying. Because I, I think deep down, I think women are smart. They know the answers. They know what they should be doing most of the time. They just need somebody to listen. And as they externally process it, they begin to, uh, they begin to heal all the more. And so the tendency can be to tune out or even to get upset because here she goes, she's complaining again, like, or here's the same problem again. But she's sharing this with you so that you would better understand her and, and, and draw close. And so, 
actively listening and, and, and try to identify what she's feeling is so important without trying to offer solutions. Um, you can pray with her. You can uh, ask her. In fact, sometimes when she begins talking to me, I, I stop her and I go, wait, are you telling me this because you just want me to listen or do you actually want my advice at the end of this? I it's ask true. her that. It's good. It's a good she'll question. Say, I just want you to listen. Okay, I know what my job is. I'm just <laughs> listening, you know. Or sometimes it is. I need. I need your advice. I need some solutions here. Can you help me with this? And then yeah. us men were like, Yeah, okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm useful. I'm bringing something. Uh, all right. The fourth thing is um, those two words that sometimes are so hard to say, but you must say them. Say I'm sorry. Um, when a woman says, I'm sorry, to her, it's loving. It's an increase of love. Like, she want, she's loving you by saying, I'm sorry. Um, but I think when a man says, I'm sorry, he feels like he's going to lose respect somehow or, like, that he's admitting he's wrong. Right. Does she's going to think less of me if I, if I admit yeah. that I was wrong. But I have never thought of Blake as lesser or weaker for humbling himself to apologize. That has never been a thought in my mind. In fact... It immediately makes me feel close to him and makes me want to apologize for whatever I did. Like, it, it's this softening that happens when he humbles himself. And, um, again, these are all generalizations. So not all, couples, not all couples are like this. Not all couples are the same. Um, this is just what is for most couples. But in this sense, this is an area that was very reversed for Blake and I when we were first married. I... Um, I could not bring myself to say those words. I would feel it. I would know I needed to. But it was literally like I was, like, swallowing sand. Like, I would open my mouth to say I'm sorry, and I, like, couldn't do it. I had to force myself to say it. Um, <laughs> I know I needed to, but I just couldn't. And, I, and so, I Blake, yeah. I remember, like, a, a, about a year into our marriage, we'd have, you know, these little conflicts and moments where I knew that both of us, you know, we're wrong. Both of us yeah. said things that were hurtful and we both needed to apologize, but neither of us were willing to go first. And so for like the first year of marriage, I was the one Blake, who yeah. would come Major in and, and start to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then after about a year in, I was like, hey, you know what? Do you realize that I'm the only one who's been initiating this? This really bothers me. And I had to tell her, you need to start initiating apologies more because yep. I can't always be the one to do this. And yeah, but it wasn't him saying that, you guys, that made me able to do it. It was watching him be humble and do it first that changed my heart because I saw how he did it. And humility is powerful and it's a way that our men can lead us, yeah. truly. And so I'm not saying that the men should say sorry first every time. I'm just saying that it is not a sign of weakness at all. Yeah. That's good. You want me to take this next one? Yeah. All right. The fifth one that we have here, women need reassurance of your love. We Women. These kind of sound a little bit repetitive, but they are different. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, women need to know that you're in it for the long haul. Reassurance of your love and loyalty is energizing and life-giving. And uh, your wife knows typically that she's a one-woman, she's a one-man woman, and she's fully committed to you. But because of the makeup of a man and how visual we are and how our culture is so sexualized and there are 
uh, half-naked women on billboards, anywhere you go, anywhere you scroll online, there is just women being objectified everywhere. Your wife needs to be reassured that you are a one-woman man, that she is enough for you, that she's all that you need sexually, emotionally, physically, that she is all that you need. You know, I was thinking this morning about how the very first sin, when you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, the first sin had to do with what Adam and Eve lacked, right? So God told them, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You have all of this abundance. You have all of this stuff going for you. Just don't eat of that one tree. And it was placed in the middle of the garden, which means that in order to get to what they lacked, Adam and Eve had to walk past all of their abundance. They had to walk past all the things that they had going for them in order to get to the one thing that they didn't have. What What am I saying? I'm saying that don't focus on what your spouse doesn't have, but reassure them of all the things that you love about them. Because God has given you a person that is amazing, and has so many qualities about them that it's just beyond. I, I know that, that there's, there's qualities of my spouse that I never knew that I needed or wanted in a spouse. But when I see them, it just makes me feel so blessed. And I think what ruins a marriage is when we focus on what our spouse doesn't have. Well, they don't, you know, she doesn't look like this. Or, you know, they, she doesn't enjoy doing this. Or he doesn't enjoy, he doesn't look like this or doesn't enjoy. And we focus on the thing that our spouse doesn't have. When we're called to admire all the things that God has blessed us with in our spouse. And so, men, uh, you can reassure your wife that you are a one-woman man by having eyes only for her. By having eyes only for her. Uh, Another thing is make sure you wear your ring. You know, your wife loves seeing you wear your wedding ring. Just like, man, when she goes out with friends, I'm always checking. I'm like, you got your ring on. She, she'll get all dressed up, and she puts on a nice dress, and I'm like, you look good. Keep that ring on your finger all night long. You know what? And you know, another thing that we can, uh, another way that we reassure our wives is that we stand up for them. When, we, when you see them being uh, devalued in front of other people, whether it's in-laws or parents or other family members or friends or you're in a, a public. Kids. The kids. especially. You stand up for your spouse. Husbands, stand up for your wife. You are on your wife's team because the kids, they are going to leave the house. And they are going to come and they are going to go. Not that they're not going to be your kids anymore. But they'll be out of the house. They're going to have their own spouses, their own lives. And when they're out of the house, it's just you two. And your wife is your number one teammate. You are on the same team. So stand up for your wife. Be on her side. (laughs) And then the last one is esteem. We want to feel honored and valued for all that we do. Um, And this is... This is my biggest one, I think, that um, I, I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom right now. I struggle a lot with feeling worthless and, and like, I don't, what I'm doing doesn't matter. Um, all the little things in the home and, um, and like, kids don't give you periodical performance reviews and tell you how great you're doing, you know? <coughs> yeah, you or, like, well. a surprise bonus for doing a good job. You don't get bonuses when you're a mom. <laughs> 
And actually, they often make us feel like we're total failures, is, is usually the feedback that we get. And so when I express my struggles at home to Blake, it's not to complain. It's because I need to know that all my hard work and my 24-7 effort is not in vain. I need to know that. And so I don't need to hear, buck up. I don't need to hear, you'll get over it. (laughs) I don't need to hear, don't worry about it. What I need to hear is that my commitment to what I'm doing at home and to being with the kids is valued and is worth it. And I want to say, Christina um, is the personality type where she's even more driven than I am. Like we both are... We both are leaders. We both have a have goals and a, you know things we want to accomplish in life. But I would say even more so for her than it is for me. Um, she's just a go getter. She's an achiever, and uh, she's worked for multi million dollar construction companies before we were married. She worked for uh, she was uh, working for the school district as the executive uh, administrator. Uh, she's had these high-level positions in the workplace, and then we got pregnant with our first kid, and suddenly it was her responsibility to be at home, and she felt like she wasn't contributing anymore, and she felt like, well, is, is what I'm doing valuable? Am I, am I still making a difference? And it took a solid year after we had Gideon for you to really understand the value of motherhood. And I just want to say to moms out there that there is no greater responsibility. There's no greater contribution to the earth than raising your kids to love Jesus and to be a mom and to be to be there for your to raise your kids in a healthy loving environment. There is just no greater purpose in life because if you talk to anybody who is super successful, they will say, "Well, my parents like they fanned this into flame at a young age." If you talk to anybody who is in prison and and on the opposite and they'll say, "I had parents who just put me down, they abused me." What happens in the home before your kids leave the home is what sets them up for life. And I just want to say, moms, Uh, For you stay-at-home moms, you truly do have the most valuable job on earth, and you do not get enough credit for it. Yeah, let me give it up for moms. And this is why, this is why in my family and in our home, we probably make a bigger deal of Mother's Day than we do Father's Day. (laughs) Um, So some ways that you can do this for your wife is um, by telling her, hey, I could never do your job, babe. I'm so proud of you. Um, honestly, like when, when I do come home from being gone, even if it's just for a bit, and he's like, man, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> There's a little part of me that swells a little like, yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, make her feel important, make her feel seen. I think that's one of the biggest things for me. I, I, I want to know that you see me. And you see that this takes me dying to myself every day. <laughs> and that it doesn't come natural and it doesn't come easy. I don't want you to see that. Um, so encourage her. Give her praise. So I think um, ultimately marriage is about you and Jesus. When you believe what the word says and the instructions to husbands and the instructions to wives, this idea of unconditional love and unconditional respect, 
ultimately comes down to, do I believe this and will I do it? Because sometimes it's easier for me to respect, like, out of obedience to God and to the word than because he's necessarily behaving respectfully. So we need to, we need to do this wrestling in us. Am I going to do what the Bible says? Am I going to follow these instructions? Am I going to respect Blake no matter what? Is he going to love me no matter what? Um, because at the end of the day, we don't answer to each other. We answer to the Lord. I think so many of us are, um, we have a desire to pursue a relationship with Jesus, but then we neglect the most important relationship in our life, which okay. is our marriage, right? And so we look at our wives, husbands, and wives, we look at our husbands, and we say, I won't change. You can't make me change until you do this. Like, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up this ground for you if you're not going to give up ground for me. And we put our foot down. Now, if you're saying that to your spouse, what makes you think that you're going to submit and serve to Jesus? What makes you think that, that you can have a healthy, vibrant relationship with the Lord and ignore the needs of your spouse? Because your, your spouse, your wife, husbands, was, has been given there for you as an example, an opportunity to see in real time the sacrificial love of Jesus for you and yeah. what he has done for you and how he has sacrificed and served you on the cross. Yeah. And so we can never come to a place where we say, well, I'm not going to change or I'm not going to give you what you need until you start giving me what I need. Uh, you don't, if you want a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus, it's not going to happen until you can start to do that in your marriage. Our relationship with Jesus is about us becoming more mature in our faith, right? So that's a constantly, we're constantly changing. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to be constantly getting closer to Jesus and, he, and allow him to change our hearts. Because we are fallen, we are broken, and we need help. So why isn't that true in our relationships often together? And so I think in a lot of ways, our marriage has nothing to do with our spouse and everything to do with our relationship to Jesus. That's good. Mary, can you come up and play a little bit as we close in prayer? And maybe everybody can stand together. I think, I think sometimes you can, or you can look at us and even say, oh, that's easy for you guys to say. Both of you love Jesus, Right? But I think the same is true for anyone with an unbelieving spouse because you are the representation of Jesus to them. Yeah. Maybe the only one that they will see. And so the way that you love them or the way that you respect them is what may or may not lead them to Jesus ultimately. And so um, my response to Blake is my responsibility no matter what he does. And that humility that brings us together is my responsibility because it's it's not about how he behaves or if he's being respectful or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the last three weeks as we started this series, um, we've been having conflict in the home, and it always happens on Saturday. Yep. Saturday night. Like before we're supposed to get up in front of the church and show them what a perfect marriage we have. It's true. Right? 
and we get to the place and we just like, man, we, do, we are not qualified to talk about this. We are just not qualified to, to lead anybody into healthy relationships in marriage. But you know what? Like, we're speaking out of brokenness. We're speaking out of just, we're still in the thick of it. And uh, I just want us to come together as husbands and wives. And so if you're standing next to your, your spouse, grab their hand. Singles, thanks for being with us these last few days. We love you. And man, hopefully you got some gold nuggets for when you find that person. And uh, But let's pray together. Well, you want to lead us out, babe? Holy Spirit, we need you. We can't do this without you. I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts to face one another as man and wife. You would soften our hearts to have eyes for the best interest of our spouse and to have eyes for um, their, their development spiritually, God. I pray that you would show us how to love and how to respect one another the best way possible. Holy Spirit, that it's only through you that you would remind us throughout our day of the little things that we can do to help our wives feel more loved or wives for our husbands to feel more respected. I pray, God, um, that we would just surrender to you because ultimately it's about you. It's about what you did for us on the cross, Jesus, and the sacrifice that you made. And so I pray, God, that we would be reminded of that this morning. And that, um, that as we go home with our spouses, God, that, th that today would be yours, Father. That there would be um, a protection over this day. Because like we said, we feel the enemy coming against us as we were talking about this. And I pray that today is claimed for you, Father. That there would be a closeness in our relationships today. That there would be an openness in our relationships. That we would talk about things that, that we didn't know we needed to talk about. Or that we did know we needed to talk about. But that there would be a grace on it. And that there would be um, a lovingness about it that wasn't there before. Father, I just pray for unity. I pray for oneness in our marriages, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. You want to pray? And Father, right now I just pray for those that are in marriages that, are, that might be feeling lonely or feeling roommatey. Lord, right now I just speak to that. Lord, first of all, we know that you can bring healing in that marriage. And so, Lord, those people that are in this room that feel alone, feel like this is just like too much. Lord, I just pray right now that you would deposit that mustard seed of faith that's in their heart, Lord, that it would grow. Lord, that you would show them ways to bring healing to their marriage where it needs to be touched. And Father, right now, I just pray for those singles here in the room that have an overwhelming sense of loneliness as they hear this story about marriage and what God has for marriage. Lord, I just pray for that loneliness. Lord, that you are the lover of our soul. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray that you would become that single person's lover of their soul. And, Lord, out of, out of that, Lord, that you would, you, I know you like to, to just show up with blessing and reward for serving you. And so, Lord, I just speak to that. I speak to the singles in this room. Lord, that you would see them, you would hear them, and you would just meet that lover of their soul, the depths and the depths of the depths of their longing. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. I love you, church. And uh, next Sunday...
uh, is the second Sunday of the month, which means we're going to be having grow class right after service. And so if you are new to our church or we haven't had an opportunity to connect with you, next week after church is going to be a great opportunity for us to sit across the table and ask each other questions and for you to get to know a little bit more about our church and the mission and vision that God's given us. So love you, church, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Bless you.